Welcome, everyone. So good to have all of you at all of our churches this morning, Bluntstown, Chipley, and Mariana. And by the way, Chipley, it was absolutely awesome to get to spend last Sunday with you guys over there hanging out while Gavin was here speaking. And I uh, just want to say, great getting to meet some of you who are newer to our Chipley campus as well. So great Sunday got to have um, hanging out with Chipley. So man, always proud of what all of our campuses are doing in all of our communities to help lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, today, before we get into part three of our series, two things I want to share with you. First one is, don't forget, Evening of Vision is when we're all coming together this evening at 5.30 on our Mariana campus. And uh, we're going to celebrate what what God has, um, man, just done through our church in 2022 and then look forward into 2023. And you don't want to miss that evening. It's going to be a great evening together this evening on our Mariana campus, 5.30, as we all come together as one church and just celebrate what God is doing and look forward to what he's going to do. Now, Second thing is, you're in for a treat this morning, and that is, we have my friend uh, Lee Jenkins with us, and um, man, Lee is just an amazing guy. The way I got to meet Lee was, um, many of you know, we've helped Jerry Fadaomi um, plant a church in Roswell, and Lee and I served together on the elder team for Gerald's church, and Lee is a dynamic guy, um, passion for life, type A individual, so you know why we get along well. Uh, he went to, uh, played uh, college football at Tennessee, so he's not having a very good day um, today. Um, <laughs> those of you who keep up with football, you'll understand that. And then he was drafted into pros after that, and then he went into the finance world, and then about 10 years ago, um, God called him into ministry, and he planted a church there in Roswell, Georgia, and they went from 20 people to 2,500 people in about 10 years. A great leader has become a great mentor and friend in my life. And uh, they just now are doing something that we've kind of experienced as a church. Um, they are buying a shopping center in Roswell, and they're going to renovate that. So my prayers are with him, and our prayers need to be with him as well, because we understand that whole dynamic, right, as a church. So, um, man, I'm excited for you to hear a great friend of mine, Lee Jenkins. I believe he's going to become our friend as well as a church. So, Lee, will you come to the stage? Everybody all over campuses, welcome, Lee. Great and great guy. Love you, brother. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate you. Well, it is a delight to be here. Um, I woke up this morning just in a, in a really bad mood because my team lost last night. In fact, we got crushed last night. So I'm a former uh, Tennessee volunteer, love uh, football, love college football, but more than that, I love the Lord, and I love making new friends with people. And uh, Paul and I have become very close. Uh, he's like my brother from another mother, you know. And so we, uh, we, we talk about everything. We talk about ministry things. We talk about family. We talk about business. And he has uh, played such a, an incredible role in my life in the last few years, especially as we have navigated through uh, buying this property and, and renovating it and developing it. So his wisdom and his experience has just been invaluable to me. So uh, we are so grateful to have him in our lives, and uh, you all have an incredible leader. And so I'm just excited to know you. I'm excited to be here. And I'm excited to share the word with you today. Well, I am uh, married. I have three children, three grown and gone children, okay? <laughs> and I stress the gone part, okay? A 32-year-old, a 30-year-old, and a 28-year-old. Been married for 34 and a half years. And uh, life is good. 
So when I uh, thought about this series and I looked at the bumper, I got really excited because the whole um, subject of soundtracks really intrigues me. In fact, as I looked at the bumper, I began to reminisce about the soundtracks of, uh, of my childhood. Now, I grew up in, a, uh, in the inner city of Atlanta in a predominantly African-American uh, area, and music was one of the main soundtracks of my life. I mean, we had music playing all the time. My mom and my dad, they were Motown fanatics. How many of y'all like Motown out there, okay? Motown fanatics, uh, The Supremes, Stevie Wonder, uh, the Temptations, and my favorite group growing up was the Jackson Five. In fact, you all, I thought I was one of the Jacksons. I thought I was Michael Jackson's brother, and I wanted to be like one of the Jacksons. Check out this picture of me now. You're talking about an afro. <laughs> You know, that was, that was me, and, and I, I tell you, I, I loved the Jacksons Five and uh, loved Michael Jackson growing up because that was one of the, the soundtracks of my life. That was something that, that really kind of helped shape me as a child. But then I went from some positive soundtracks to some negative soundtracks. As I began to grow up, I was very uncoordinated, very awkward. Uh, most of the kids didn't pick me to play the Sandlot basketball or football games. I was the most unlikely to succeed when it came to sports. In fact, the first football team I played on, I was a tailback because every time I ran out on the field, the coach said, Jenkins, get your tailback over here on this bench <laughs> and sit down. So life was tough. Uh, I got my lunch taken from me every Friday by the neighborhood bully, and her name was uh, <laughs> her name was Michelle. It was a girl. So that's pretty bad when you get beat up and when you get your lunch taken by a girl. So I remember those soundtracks the criticisms and the people poking fun at me and, and making fun at me. But then there was another positive soundtrack that kind of uh, superseded the uh, negative soundtrack, and those were the soundtracks of my father, my dad. Because I remember coming home, I got beat up by a girl, and my dad said something to me when I was around 10 years old that I will never forget. He said, oh, son, don't worry about that. He said, I know all the kids are picking on you right now, but he said, in a few years from now, uh, they're going to wish that they were you. He said, you're going to do something great one day. So I had to make the decision as a child which soundtrack that I was going to believe. And I chose to believe what my dad said about me, even though I had no clue of what he was talking about. Well, a few years later, you all, something amazing happened. Everything my dad said started to come true because a few years later, I reached this stage in life that a lot of people don't like. I loved it. It's called puberty. 
I mean, my voice started to get really deep and I started to grow and, and, and I started to get muscles. And then I remember we were in recess and we had a, had a race to see who was the fastest. And I started running and I just left everybody. I was like, my God, what has happened to me? And then I remember being on the basketball court and all the kids were trying to jump up to see who could touch the bottom of the net. And then I jumped up and I touched the actual rim and just kind of hung on the rim and people were like freaking out. That's how great puberty was for me, you all. I loved it. I didn't mind the pimples. I didn't mind the acne because all the other good stuff was pretty phenomenal. And so I got good in sports by the time I was a senior in high school. Had over 30 scholarship offers all around the nation. Florida, Florida State, Miami, Tennessee, Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan to come and play football at these universities. I chose the University of Tennessee, went there my freshman year, went to my first Fellowship of Christian Athlete meeting. You see, the reason that's important is because prior to me going to college, I thought I had my life figured out. I thought my calling was to play pro football, to be famous, to make a lot of money, to be popular, and to get rich. And it's amazing, as I went down that track, I had a lot of success, but I was feeling very empty. I remember playing in college football games and accomplishing things and then asking myself, there has to be more to life than this. Well, at that meeting my freshman year at the University of Tennessee, a Fellowship of Christian Athletes meeting, a former pro football player gave his testimony. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, some of you guys, your God is football, fame, females, fortunes. That's your God. Now, he said, you don't look at it as being your God because, you know, you... you you don't really articulate it that way, but it is your God because that is your priority. That is where you put most of your energy. And then he said, you'll never be happy unless you invite Jesus in your life and live for him because you're not happy right now. You're empty. And I knew he was talking to me. Long story short, I gave my life to the Lord that night. I walked down as he gave the invitation in front of all my teammates and gave my heart to Jesus. And I was 18 and a half years old and my life has not been the same since. So that was the beginning of my calling, if you will, because prior to them, to that particular um, thing happening, I really didn't know why I was here on this earth. I thought it was just to play football and to do some other things, but God showed me that he had a purpose and a plan for my life. A lot of people don't find out what God has called them to do. A lot of people don't understand why they are put here on earth. And so what we depend on often are those soundtracks in our lives, things that people said about us, things that people said to us, things that people spoke over us. The only problem with that is sometimes those things can be negative. In fact, you probably, most people have probably experienced more negative soundtracks than positive soundtracks. 
So I want to talk to you today from the subject of conquering your insecurities, conquering your insecurities, because negative soundtracks can make you become insecure in terms of who you are and what God has called you to do. Conquering insecurity. Let me ask you a question. Have any of you at any point in your life ever felt insecure about something? Raise your hand. Okay, great. All right. Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, it's probably because you're insecure. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Well, if you don't get this area together, you will never realize your potential in Christ. In fact, look at this statement. If you don't conquer your insecurities, then your insecurities will conquer you. And you're going to see later why that's an important statement. If you don't conquer your insecurities, and I, I could say your insecurities could be things like those negative soundtracks that have been spoken over your life. Those things that people said you would never become. If you don't conquer those things, then they will conquer you. So why is this so important? Because we have to be able to fulfill and live what God has called us to do. And I believe one of the best examples of this is found in the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Now, I'm just going to pull out one verse, verse 10, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And, but let me give you some context of verses 1 through 9. In verses 1 through 9, the Apostle Paul describes our lives before Christ. So when I read verses 1 through 9, you all, and you really ought to check it out, it describes how most of us were, in fact, all of us were in some form or another before we committed our lives to Christ. It was all about us, or it was all about our flesh, or, or uh, for many people, they were slaves to sin. And the Apostle Paul talks about this. And then he makes a statement. He says, but God, and, and he talks about how God comes in and by his grace and by his mercy saves us. Not because we're so good, not because we can earn brownie points with God to, to be saved, but, but because of his grace and his mercy. And then after he talks about his grace and his mercy, he comes to verse 10. And he talks about our assignment in Christ. So in Ephesians chapter 2, it's about what we used to be. And then it is about what we, who we are, and then it is about what God has called us to be, our assignment. So let's look at this verse one more time, and then we're just going to kind of go right through it. And I'm hoping that if there are negative soundtracks in your life, 
that you won't let any of this stop you from being who God has called you to be. Again, one more time, Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship. We're going to break this down. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now, good works don't save us, but we're created to do good works. Which God prepared beforehand. We're going to talk about that. How before you were born, God had a plan for you. And then it says that we should walk in them. So the question is, are you walking in what God has called you to walk into? I often say that if there were, was an area that God was frustrated in, in terms of us, I wonder sometimes would he be more frustrated with us if we are arrogant or if we are insecure. I, I wonder which one frustrates God the most when he looks at his creation. Arrogance meaning that you think too highly of yourself. Insecurity means that you think too low of yourself. I wonder, I wonder which one frustrates God the most when he looks at our lives. I have a couple of examples I want you to consider. When God called Moses to do something great, he says, Moses, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. In other words, he was calling Moses to be a leader, to speak to the powers that be. Tell them to let my people go. They have been in bondage for hundreds of years. Moses responded by saying, but God, I can't speak. They won't listen to me. Please send someone else. Isn't that interesting? Because it's not like Moses said, okay, Lord, I'll do it. Okay, Lord. He says, no, send someone else. Insecurity. A lot of people, when God tries to push us to do great things, we talk ourselves out of it. Okay, what about Jeremiah, a guy named Jeremiah? He was called to be a prophet to the nations. And so he responded by God by saying, I don't know how to speak. I'm too young to be used by God. That was Jeremiah. And then what about a guy named Gideon? Gideon was asked to deliver the children of Israel from the land of the Midianites. Quite a, an assignment. Gideon responded by saying this, but God, I'm too insignificant. I'm too young. My tribe is the smallest and the poorest tribe. Now, all three of these instances, you have God trying to get them to do something great, but they are allowing the negative soundtracks in their life to dictate their obedience. Then God told Abraham and Sarah that they would bear children at almost 100 years old, and they would be the father and mother of many nations. Well, how did Abraham and Sarah respond? 
how many, most of you would have if you were 100 years old. They scoffed at the idea. They said, we are too old for that. <laughs> we are too old to even do that, what it takes to get that, okay? We are just too old. That doesn't make sense. So in these instances, God had to deal with their negative soundtracks, how they thought about themselves, whether they thought God could really use them. And then I remember over 10 years ago, I had been in the investment business for 25 years. I had achieved a lot of success. I had been on the front of some magazines and there were newspaper articles that were written on me. I was kind of like a who's who in the Atlanta area. But a few years leading up to that, <coughs> I began to feel like I wasn't really doing all that I was supposed to do for God's kingdom. And to make a long story short, I talked to some of my friends about it and they say, well, Lee, you're just going through a midlife crisis. That's all. I said, no, I believe it's, it's, it's something deeper than that. So to make a long story short, I wrestle with God. I wrestle with God. And then finally I surrender. And I knew that God was calling me out of the business world to pastor a church, to plant a church in the area that I lived in. But now there are a couple of problems with that. I was 49 years old at the time, getting ready to turn 50. Who does that at 50 years old? We were just coming out of the a recession. So I was trying to rebuild a lot of the, the wealth that I had lost, but I wasn't gonna be, rebuild it by planting a church. Everything I thought about did not make sense. And I gave God a hundred excuses. And I kept hearing from God, this is what I want you to do. I was like Willis on different strokes. I said, what you talking about, Jesus? <laughs> I did not want to do it. Finally, I surrendered at 50 years old, and planted a church with 20 people. By the way, that's not a great thing to do because all the church planting experts will tell you you need a couple of hundred people if you're going to plant a church. You don't do it with 20 people. But I didn't know any better. And God breathed on it. And I had to deal with all the negative voices that were telling me that I was crazy, that I was too old, that this wasn't going to work that young people weren't gonna be attracted to the church. And now here we are 10 years later, 2,500 plus. We have tons of young people coming, a very vibrant church that God has breathed on. And so I look back and I say, I thank God I did not let those negative soundtracks dictate my obedience. And so maybe you're dealing with something right now Maybe you're dealing with your past track record of a failure or disappointment or something that somebody said about you, some kind of negative soundtrack. But, at the, but then the other side of you, God is pushing you to step out on faith to do something great for him. 
to obey him. So it might boil down to which voice is going to have the most power in your life. The negative soundtrack or the voice of God. So, I want to just kind of give you a couple of things out of this verse. Really just one thought that I want to give you. And then we're just going to go back to the verse and then wrap this thing up. Um, this, this one thing we must realize when it comes to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. It is simply this. You are divinely designed and assigned. In other words, God created you for something. He designed you. He fashioned you. You're not a mistake. He made you, but he didn't just make you just to make you. He assigned you. He has a certain assignment, a certain calling that you're supposed to be fulfilling. You are divinely designed and divinely assigned. All right, let's just go through this verse one more time, and then we're just going to pull out a couple of nuggets, and then we'll be closing. Ephesians 2.10, one more time. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Four key things that if you read this verse too fast, you will miss it, you will skip over it. It says workmanship, then it talks about good works, and then it talks about preparation or how God prepared it beforehand, and then it says we should walk in them. Let's talk about the word workmanship. The word workmanship means masterpiece. Some uh, translations say that we are God's masterpiece. That means that you and I are custom made. We're not off the rack. There's nobody else like you. God fashioned and molded you, and you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're not a mistake. You are special. Why? Because God made you. God made you the way you are because he has a purpose for you. Your personality, even those quirks, God made you the way you are. That's why we shouldn't be insecure about ourselves, because God says we are a masterpiece. Do you look at yourself as a masterpiece? Or do you look at your life or yourself as a mistake? And I'm telling you, you are a masterpiece. But then it goes on to say this. It says that we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. So we were created to serve Jesus, but we were created to do good works for Jesus. So what are your good works? What are you doing that will bring glory to God? You see, good works are the things that you were created to do that glorifies God 
and that benefits your fellow man. So let me say that again. What are you doing that glorifies God and benefits your fellow man? That's what good works are. So it says we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. That means that... Um, it's not just about us going to heaven. Now, that's important. That's our ultimate home. But if coming to Christ was just about going to heaven, then God would take us right after we receive Christ. But he doesn't do that because we have an assignment to fulfill. So we are created to do good works. And you see, that's what I was really going through. That was not a midlife crisis 12, 13 years ago that I was going through. What I was going through is God rearranging and reassigning my, my good works and saying, okay, I've let you enjoy a little football. I've let you enjoy the investment business. Now I, this is what I want you to do for my kingdom. And so what are your good works? What are the things that God has called you to do that you are offering back to him? So then, after he says, created in Christ Jesus for good works, he makes a profound statement. He says, which God prepared beforehand. Now, you got to really think about that. That means that what God has called you to do that he had a plan for you to do this before you were born. That means that you were born with a specific assignment and it was planned beforehand. So all you and I have to do is walk in it, but it behooves us to kind of find out what God's plans are for our life. You see, a lot of us don't think we have what it takes in order to accomplish great things for God. But I'm here to tell you that everything you need to accomplish God's will in your life is already in you. He, he's already put it in you. Everything you are supposed to do is already in you. It's like a, um, an acorn already has an oak tree inside of it. You don't see the oak tree, but, but the acorn, that little bitty acorn has a huge oak tree inside of it. So I wonder what's inside of you that has been kept dormant because of the negative soundtracks in your life. So God has prepared these good works in advance, even before you were born. And he's already worked out what he has for you, and he's already made provision for you to get it done. So that begs the question, then, why am I not getting it done? Why do I feel unfulfilled? Well, it may be because of this part of the verse right here. That we should walk in them. You have to walk in it. You have to step out on faith. Moses, Gideon, Jeremiah, uh, Abraham and Sarah, even myself. 
it had to come to a point to where whether or not I was going to believe God and then step out on faith. I didn't know that our church was going to go from 20 people to 2,500 plus. In fact, everything that I looked at with my eyes said that this was a crazy endeavor that I was getting ready to embark upon. Crazy, especially at this time in my life. But God does some of his best work when it doesn't make sense. So maybe God is trying to push you to do something. It could be a new relationship. It could be a new way of doing ministry. It could be stepping out on faith in business. I, I don't know what it is, but I'm just saying that in order for God to use us in a great way, we have to be willing to let him push us out of our comfort zone and into our faith zone. I often think that I am glad that I was scared to death 10 years ago to start the church. I'm glad that I had a lot of doubts. And the reason I'm glad is because I had to totally depend on God, 100%. And I knew that whatever happened, it had to be the Lord. And that's exactly how God wanted me to feel. Very insecure, but secure in him. So you need to walk in what God has called you to do. Hey, I want to end with this story. Our church in Atlanta is called Eagles Nest Church, and I've always been fascinated with eagles. In fact, I heard a story years ago about a farmer who was walking through his farm, and he picked up an egg. He saw an egg laying there, and he owned a turkey farm. He assumed that it was an egg of a turkey. So he took the egg and he went and he allowed the egg to hatch. And out of the egg came the ugliest turkey he had ever seen. I mean, an ugly turkey, big, gawky turkey. In fact, as the turkey hung around the other turkeys in the turkey farm, this turkey did not act like the other turkeys. This turkey did not walk like the other turkeys. This turkey did not talk like the other turkeys. In fact, the other turkeys picked on this turkey because this turkey was so different. So this turkey's self-esteem was shot. I mean, this turkey had to listen to all these negative soundtracks from the other turkeys. Well, one day they were out playing in the turkey farm, and a group of eagles start flying in the sky. And one of the eagles looked down, and one of the eagles said, look at that eagle down there acting like a turkey. You see, that turkey wasn't really a turkey. It was an eagle that had been raised in a turkey farm thinking he was a turkey. So one of the eagles says, hey, why are you down there acting like a turkey? Well, he said, because I am a turkey. I was raised a turkey. I talk like a turkey. I walk like a turkey. 
He said, no, you're not a turkey. You're an eagle. He says, I'm not an eagle. He said, okay, start flapping your wings and see what happens. After a while, he starts flapping his wings and he starts lifting up off the ground. And then they said, flap it harder. And he starts flapping it harder. And then he realizes that he can, he can fly and he didn't even know that. And then next thing you know, he starts soaring through the sky. Woohoo! I didn't even know that I was an eagle. And all this while I've been living like a turkey. So here's my point. A lot of us are the same way. God has created us to be an eagle. God has created us to soar and to do great things for his kingdom. But because of things people have said, because of negative soundtracks, because of even some of our experience, we resign ourselves to living a turkey life. So I'm here to call you out of the turkey farm, all right? I'm here to call you to come up to be an eagle and let's do great things for God. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We acknowledge that we can't do anything by our own strength. And so, Lord, I'm praying for these men and women today that you will stir their hearts to do something great for God, that you will uh, help them to step out on faith and be faithful and obedient and to trust you, Lord, so that they can make a difference for your kingdom. We thank you, Lord, for just being our Savior and our Lord and for the power of your Holy Spirit to change our life. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, don't forget the evening of vision tonight, everybody. It's going to be a fantastic time. And uh, I will see you later. And God bless you all. Have a great week.